back to the SSPX podcast. Today in the third part of our ongoing series, Digital Dangers, we continue exploring the effects of modern technology on our lives, particularly our mental and spiritual health. As discussed in the last episode, technological tools such as smartphones and state-of-the-art search engines like Google grant us unprecedented access to nearly unlimited information. In addition, algorithms and tracking software lead us through a sea of content calibrated exactly to our interests, which keeps us fixed to our devices. In this episode, we will discuss why this is dangerous and what we can do to place ourselves on guard against an overwhelming amount of content, much of which is misleading and potentially harmful. Ultimately, we'll ask, how do we separate the digital wheat from the chaff? Let's join Father Kopeck right now. Hi, Father, welcome back. This is the third episode of our technology series. Maybe to recap before we jump in again, uh, we were talking at the end of episode two about the, the different kinds of effects of digital technology. So uh, we're going to explore some, some different angles today, but by way of introduction, can you summarize where we left off? Sure, yeah. So um, I think up to this point, basically what we've discussed is more kind of like the neurological and psychological effects that we have in just using screens and yeah. technology. So it, it kind of brings about this you know, habitual disposition of ease and um, kind of the shallow thinking and all of that. But then also um, the idea of it kind of overstimulating and, and, and um, you know, making it more difficult for us to just think balancedly and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, you know, not, not just have things scrambled up by an overuse of a type of technology that in its kind of very nature is something that's beyond, you know, kind of a, mm-hmm. a more intentional regulation of use. So that's basically what we've, we've, established so far is that okay just using these things are already going to bring about um you know pretty likely if not inevitable um side effects especially to our you know just our our psychology and our balance but now i think we're going to move on before we get into some more of the big moral questions which will be the episodes ahead yes um we're going to talk a bit more about kind of the influence more the i guess the intellectual influence that um that that we come across from um, well, from constantly accessing the feeds and um, the different culture, let's say, that comes with technology. Um, and, uh, and then when I say intellectual influence, I guess the influence on you know, just our principles of thought and how we yeah. reason and how we judge things. All of these things are being acted upon um, by the technology itself, by the people who run it, and then by the different voices and commentators that we listen to or take in sure. or just kind of absorb. Sure. And so... Um, part of this has to do, or maybe a large part of it has to do with, let's say, who, who's behind the screen. So right. We've talked about the screen. You mm-hmm. want to talk now about... Who's on the other side. <laughs> yes. In, in, in a couple different ways. Right. right? Um, sort of... The, no, I think you're going to posit there are no accidents. Right. Here. Yeah, so, that's, that's um, what it comes down. And, and the, it almost kind of feels like there is. You know, we kind of, we're, I think there's sure. a, a sort of natural naiv- naivety about, you know, just kind of pulling it up and be like, oh, well, this is interesting. Look how this popped up and whatever sure. it is. When, when really, when we're talking about something that's digital, um, there are no accidents. Yeah, like you said, it's, sure. it's everything that's on that screen was intended to be there. Um, and it's intended for you, even pr- in particular, to, to see. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's let let's start there. How? Um, okay. Yeah. Who who is behind the screen? Right. Um, well, 
there's not just a one there's who, not that's, right that's, that's right sure. so where yeah we, we can say generally speaking that um you know if you're in if you're in the world if you're in like the business the economy of technology mm-hmm. um you're you're getting income you're getting money from someone else's attention sure and so the the goal of someone who's going to have anything to do with whether it's an application or a video is going to be to achieve you know as much attention from others as as possible um and so who's behind the screen well it's i guess it depends on what exactly on the screen we're talking about but but even just more abstractly than that, before we can kind of get into particulars, and we could talk about just the technology that's being used to, sure. to keep our attention. So this this is the whole world of let's say like pers- persuasive technology. So um, you know, in past decades, that only extended as far as you know commercials and sure. and you know ads on a magazine or something like that. But when we talk about per- persuasive technology in the sense of the digital world, um, we're we're talking about technology that's being used to persuade us even manipulate us to continue to use it or to you know steer us towards a particular type of product or yeah or, or thinking or whatever it is and i think one of the main ways that that happens um is just kind of like this whole world of algorithms for example i think it's a, it's a, a basic kind of technological thing to think about so that means an algorithm in in the in the technological sense is it's it's sort of like um a series of rigorous instructions that's that's programmed into a um, a program or a computer yeah. or a phone to perform a particular type of computation. Um, so it's it's kind of like a if if someone clicks on this, well then open up the door to this and this and this, and then if someone clicks on that, well then it'll lead you to this and this and this. And sure. so it's just like a, a it's kind of like mapping, you know, our different interests and things like that to then um, present to us what it what it's computed to right. find most likely that we're going to click on. So like an easy example to explain how an algorithm works for is, um, you know, if you ever, if you have like, um, you know, a, a music streaming app, yeah. um, like iMusic or, sure. or, or Spotify, Spotify or something like that. Um, what those are programmed to do is that the moment you search a song, you've now entered into their algorithm and it's going to compute and presents to you based on your selections the different artists or the different genres of music that um, yeah. you're likely to find interest in. And so it's no accident that you might search a particular singer and then later on it suggests someone else to you. And like, wow, I like this guy too. Yeah, um, that's how it works. In the marketing world, you know, algorithms are the ones that run over that. So so Google is one massively trained yeah. algorithm, and um, it's not just the most likely you know, a result you get when you type in a Google search, for example, it's going to be based on where you are, um, what's been mapped already in your particular interests, what the algorithm has been able to, to track as far as even your, your, your race, yeah. your, your religion, your, all those things sure. are going to determine what, what Google is going to suggest to you when you type in what is the, it's already going to start suggesting sure. things based on that. Um, which in a sense, if we think about it, it is, I mean, it, it is a, a type of manipulation. Um, it doesn't have to be something that we automatically presume is insidious. And yeah. yet when we're dealing with, you know, an economic world that wants our attention and right. knows that, you know, the, the best way to gain someone's attention is not necessarily in anything moral. Um, we are walking into a world where everything's kind of stacked against us and there's there's massive amounts of computations that are all 
um, tracking every move, literally, right. not in a conspiratorial sense, but this is just how networks work and, and, and the digital world works to, um, you know, to get us to continue right. to, to follow what, you know, what they want us and, to. And part of this false excuse me, promise is that it's true, right? Meaning right. You, you do find sometimes an artist that, oh, that's someone exactly. I didn't know of, or it is more convenient, like mm -hmm. all, in a certain way, all technology or labies, it, it is true to an extent, right? Yeah. It's not, and it's not a conspiracy well, It's really theory. good at what it does. Yeah. Right. And it, and it can be very beneficial to us because, you know, we might start searching for a particular type of sock or something like yeah. that. And right away, it's, oh, that's exactly what I was looking for. Well, right. I mean, there's a reason why it's good at producing that sort yeah. of result. Um, it does get a little bit more, you know, worrisome. Kind of the the deeper you go into it, there's, there, I bet, I guess what I mean is there's a lot more going on underneath right. than we usually presume. Right. So, for example, I, I think most people might be surprised to know that you know if you have a function on your phone that's that's Hello Siri or mm -hmm. OK Google, um, we kind of instinctively think that that's kind of like a human being. If you ask it a question, then it starts listening and answers your question. Well, well, no, not really. It's even. Uh, it's even legally in the terms of use yeah. that it's always recording because yeah. a phone doesn't just hear its name and then wake up. It, it can't work like that. So yeah. it's constantly recording everything that you're saying, everything that's going around you outside of your pocket. And not only is it going to then be able to respond when you ask it a question, but it's taking all of that information and it's yeah. feeding it right into the algorithms. Yeah. So um, perhaps all, all you, in the name of helping all you. in the name of helping yeah. you and, and also in helping the people that are paying yeah. to have their algorithms um, tie in right. and their products tie into those results. So you know, you might have had that kind of freaky experience when you're talking about something like, yeah, I was really interested in this particular yeah. type of clothing or something like that. And then the next time you open Amazon, there it is. Like, well, wow, that's how on earth that happened. Well, it happened because it heard you say it and it typed it and sent it into the thing and there you get the result. So that that's kind of worrisome. Uh, right. Well, it, feed, it definitely feeds into what you were talking about, attention spans and you know, it's, uh, it, it's designed to keep us uh, well, interested in the things we're interested in. And it's in a sense, it's a de designed to keep us consuming. Yeah, for well, sure. Certainly. certainly. Yeah. yeah. So it, 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 that's just something I think we just need to be aware of. That yeah. There's a, there's a lot more going on and it is, it is very good at its persuasion, just as good as it is um, making things easy for us. But on the one hand, that making things easy for us is just going to feed right back into that kind of habitual disposition that we're, that we're yeah. talking about, kind of that just shallow sure. lack of needing to work for things or, or information, um, but on the other hand, um, we do reasonably have to question: you know, what else is yeah. all this going to be used for? Like, um, you know, it, it's one thing for marketing to suggest, you know, a pair of socks to sure. me, but everything else that I might be saying is, is going to be tracked for some reason or another. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to get conspiratorial, but it, it's a fact that um, our movements on, in the digital world are constantly tracked. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something to be aware of, and, and yeah. that technology is only getting better with you know with the dawn of artificial intelligence and all that sort of thing. That's that's you know taking algorithms and multiplying it by a billion and sure. and creating a machine that can not only track your movements and compute the best possible scenario, but also learn from yeah in a sense learn in quotation marks um, in in a way that it, it adjusts itself. So there's a there's a lot of really good technology, and, it, and it's worth us realizing that I think basically the main conclusion is that um, we are less the agents in the use of these things than, than we usually like to think we are, meaning it's more active on us and we are more passive to it yeah. um, than the other way around. And that, and that putting ourselves in a state of passivity 
that's putting ourselves in the state of being influenced, um, whether that's yeah. by the current fad, the fashion, or things more insidious, or even just the culture and consumerism or, or otherwise. So, so we're being formed even when we think we're in control. That's exactly it. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, so, so how do we balance that with, with other considerations? Okay, well, I think just on the level of the use of you know, the mm -hmm. technology, our balance is going to be you know, very, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna start with being much more um, uh, intentional mm -hmm. in our use of the things, um, you know, not, not just settling for kind of letting everything <laughs> just be decided for us. It's gonna be, um, I mean, basically what it's gonna come down to is just an, an intentional practice of virtue when it comes to spending and entertainment and all of these things and um, a greater awareness on you know, what we're allowing our devices to do, uh, to look in further into you know, what we're agreeing to when we yeah. just click on the agreement of terms, et cetera. It, it just, it's, it's basically the, the most basic idea of just um, being more virtuous and more prudent in our use of technology okay. and realize that um, I can't take anything for granted and I do have to actively look into each thing's individual worth um, and the value of me using it and things like that. Um, the next step after this is when we get into, you know, being aware of being influenced. And again, that's, that's the, the cultural influence, let's say that we're putting ourselves in passivity to. So, you know, the world on the, the digital network is, is by and large looking for worldly goals sure. and not supernatural goals. It's by and large looking for superficial goals and values and not something more intrinsic and, 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 and human. And that especially affects the youth. And I think we're gonna, we're gonna yeah. wait to kind of like talk more about just all the, the particular influences on, on young people. But already we can kind of mention, I mean, the moment you open up, whether it's a shopping app or, or, or yeah. an entertainment app, and we're entering into the world of fads, the world of you know, click to accept friends, of styles, of name brands, of followings, of likes and all these things, which are, are largely superficial. Yeah. And for a child that doesn't necessarily have the ability to, and by child, I can mean you know, even young adults, sure, sure. that doesn't necessarily have the ability to distinguish um, you know, the difference between that and real life, that that major and constant influence starts to become real life for them, and I think I mean at yeah. the at the basic level, that's that's why we're seeing this kind of lack of reality in in in, in adolescence, especially. There's just there's a superficial world they live in, and, and values that are not real in themselves, but they seem very real to them sure. because that's the that's the influence that they're being inundated with. And, and that culture influence, again, something to talk about in the future. I mean, it is, at the end of the day, it, it is disordered and, and it becomes pornographic very quickly, um, even in, you know, let's say softer ways, but mm -hmm. in a way that's, that's um, kind of breaking down our, our barriers. Um, sure. And that, that's, that's something to be very aware of. Um, kind of one step up from that, I guess, is we have to be aware of, um, you know, with the, with the reality of gaining our attention um, the things that are most often presented to us are going to be things that are, you know, something that sparks our interest yeah. or even, you know, stirs up emotion or whatever it is. And I mean, that that's, you know, without stepping into it, that's the whole world of, of news and fake news and yeah. just the spread of untruth that's constantly getting people to go back to it and listen to it and then get all worked up about it largely, you know, it, it might not be even true at all, or obviously yeah. there's going to be at least little things that are manipulated. Um, and it's all kind of just creating this collective naivety um, that, that is having its influence on us. 
Um, so that that's all something that's that's worth realizing, thinking sure. about, and kind of being intentional and active against. Um, because if, if we put ourselves in passivity to that, well then, I mean, we're, we're kind of allowing ourselves to be influenced by it. Sure. So that's, I think, kind of just the basic level. Okay. Um, whereas step two is gonna be now like the, the more intellectual sure. influence that we're gonna deal with. So let's, let's dive into the intellectual influence. Okay. Because I think, um, I think probably most people feel, they feel some kind of tension where, so for instance, uh, we do live in an age of, of massive distrust, often with good reason, and yet yep. we have more voices to listen to than we've say. ever had before. Yeah, so it's a yeah. it's kind of a unique paradox. Right, um, uh, people throw it out lightly, but it is kind of unprecedented in, in human history. For sure, and any of us could have access to any opinion right. that we wanted. So it ties into who's behind the screen, yep. and that's part. Again, depending on how you look at it, the other part is everyone yeah right? yeah exactly we're all, we're yeah. all yeah so, and that's the paradox especially that i think came about with you know well the, the american constitution for example sure. and some of the the quote-unquote rights that it enabled you know so on the one hand we we have the ability to spread truth and define you know a, a lot of great resources because we're allowed to publish them but on the yeah. other hand the the, the the dark side of the paradox is so that does everyone you, else so does everyone else <laughs> yeah so does everyone else as far as posting whatever they want sure and, and we have just as much likelihood to run into truth as we do, perhaps more so, run into error. So sure. Yeah. So you let, let's um, let's talk about that influence then. Okay. So um, I mean, when it comes down to, there are a lot of things like we've been saying that yep. we can listen to, that we yep. can read, um, and it is definitely more more dangerous than we might think. Um, and the danger comes down to putting ourselves in a state of passivity, meaning receptivity to someone else's principles, someone else's reasonings, um, someone else's values. So by principles, I can mean like, you know, obviously someone, someone's principles can be very bad, but what I mean is what are they basing their judgments off of? Mm -hmm. Like what is the principle that's, that's, that's um, dictating how I'm gonna judge and comment on this thing. Are they the highest principles, for yeah. example? You know, because that's that's how we want to think. We wanna base our judgments off of the highest principles. That's, you know, that's that's the perennial example of the doc, of the great doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas, who everything that you can ask him, he's gonna say, okay, what's the highest principle? And we can work our way down there and make sure. a valid judgment of this. Um, or is it rather more thinking that's just on a basic level more reactionary? or something that's more just political, or something definitely that's more um, you know, emotional. Whatever it is, <clears throat> when we're listening to someone, we're being informed by that speaker's principles. And if we're not actively you know, paying attention and, mm -hmm. and, and critiquing, in a sense, what they're, what they're saying, um, then we're kind of letting it in. Um, and in some cases, we really are letting it in, especially the more we identify ourselves with, with whomever we're listening to. Um, that's, that's kind of the danger of, of being passive to someone's principles. One step down from there is, is the reasoning that they have based on those principles, you know, how they think, how they respond, what they value. Those things will influence our reasoning, our responses, our, our values, especially again, insofar as we're, we're putting ourselves, you know, in passivity to them. So conscious, you know, just freely listening, freely accepting and not making our own distinctions. This is this is morally relevant. Um, yeah. It's not just a, well. I mean, I guess I, I mean, how am I supposed to know? 
Well, if if that question's there, that's a, that's a prudence question that we have to answer because we are responsible for what we let in. You know, whether that's just I'm responsible for getting myself all worked up and losing my peace of soul because I've listened to the news all day, to I'm I might be resp- responsible for a more wishy-washy way of thinking because I've been mm. listening to some just emotional reactionary commentary all day. So we're responsible for that. If 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 I end up making a, a poor decision, um. And all I've done up to this point, or the majority of what I've done up to this point has been letting in, you know, wishy-washy principles. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that, that's on me. Um, and sure, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm not saying that we just lock ourselves in, in a yeah. basement and not listen to anything, because we, we do make concessions on things, you know, like sure. it, like an analogy of life is like, well, that's not very good for you to eat. It's like, well, okay, well, I, I'm not eating it all the time, but I can make a concession. There's a, there's a reason for that. But when it comes to our intellect, especially insofar as this could be affecting our faith, our peace of soul, or our spiritual yeah. life, um, those concessions need to be a lot more um, uh, prudentially necessary than just having something to listen to. So that's yeah. that's the fear. Okay. Um, that that we're basing the you know kind of this this, uh, this sure. critique on. Concretely, the answer, let's say, is you know as far as like how are we supposed to think? Um, you know, in in contradistinction to maybe faulty principles or reactionary thinking um well we know first of all that we always have to be aware of just basing our decisions off of emotion um we know second of all that we it it takes time and study and effort to to know and to be informed by the the deepest and and what we can call the most simple principles um meaning that they can be applied to a um, you know large amount of things in order to judge best on many things um we have to remind ourselves that our reasoning must be precise you know, so um, not just based on personal attack, not just um, based on, in, you know, circumstances taken out of context. Ultimately, it has to be precise based on just the full reality sure. of everything that exists and especially the faith. And, um, you know, what that means is precise reasoning is good reasoning. Imprecise reasoning is, is faulty reasoning sure. <laughs> and it's easier. Yeah. That's why we can fall prey to it. So our reasoning must be precise. And then, and lastly, as far as all that goes, our goals, you know, are, are the things that we're working towards, the things that we're intending and, and ultimately the things that are dictating, you know, all my actions to reach that goal. Ultimately, they have to be supernatural, um, meaning they have to have some bearing on God's will, God's glory and, and my salvation. And every other thing that we're working towards or learning or taking in has to be subordinated to that supernatural goal, supernatural charity, which involves self-denial and the practice of virtue, following the law of God, you know, both according to nature that he created and, and the laws that he revealed. That, so that's, that's yeah. how we're meant to be thinking. <laughs> yeah. And we're not going to find a lot of that, let's say, the farther we go from, uh, from commentary or 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 um, a speaker, the more further removed from the church and the supernatural economy of salvation, the less we're going to find that. And again, if we we put ourselves just receptive to those ways of thinking, to to put it kind of silly, silly, we're kind of making ourselves dumber. You know, if if that's that's (laughs) what we're, you know, sucking in all the time, we're making ourselves more shallow thinkers. Um, we're becoming used to thinking with lower principles. I don't necessarily mean evil principles, but yeah. just lower principles with lower goals. And again, we could we could be the ones, and, and we are the ones responsible for that. What we're letting in, what in, how we're letting ourselves be informed. Yeah, I wonder if there's a kind of litmus test that any of us could do based on what you just said. Maybe this is 
you know, better towards the end or a conclusion, but if, if we acknowledge that we're being formed one way or another, and we acknowledge <clears throat> or at least understand that, um, that we're, our principles are going to be shaped by what we, to use modern parlance, consume, is there a way to look back, let's say, after a week or even an episode or a month of listening to something and ask, well, are, are my principles clearer now? Did that help? Uh, mm. Did it help my peace of soul? Is there a kind of, because I think a lot of times, um, again, especially because of the multiplicity of options, people may, of goodwill understandably start listening to a certain podcast or certain kind of content like news, and it's done like subspecies bonum, right? It's done like, I think I should be aware of this, or I think I should stay up on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there a kind of like self um, an examination of conscience one yeah. can do to be like, okay, well, did that really help me understand the principles? Does it does it kind of um, does it fit in with the the principles I already know as mm-hmm. a Catholic or yeah? As a, no, I, mean, I, that... I I think that's I think there are basically three solid questions we can ask ourselves. Okay, the first is you know after listening to these things, one, how's my peace of soul? Okay. Did that agitate me? Um, did that make me fearful, or did that did that you know, resonate with what I know to be true and say, okay, I can act off of this. Um, Because if it is just agitating, chances are already, this is not worth us putting into our head, even if it seems important. Um, So for example, you know, it it might be worthwhile to know the different events going on in the world. Yeah. But subjectively, um, if if that's just making me fearful and panicky and just, you know, having to, to yeah. listen to more news and keeping me from just praying trustfully to God, my father, that's a problem. And it's not worth you then listening to the events of the world, even okay. if they might have some bearing on you. Okay. So question one, peace of soul. Question two would be, I think um, we can ask ourselves, as far as what I'm listening to, do I know the Catholic principle you know that that would correspond to whatever okay. is being talked about. Do I do I know um, do I know how I would judge this? Maybe even do I know where I would look this up? Um, but just whatever kind of information we're talking, maybe it's a question of justice, maybe yeah. it is a question of war, maybe it's some other question of morality. We can ask ourselves. We can just examine ourselves. Do I know? Um, yeah. Do I know what the Catholic answer is to this? And if I don't, do I know where to start looking for it? If I, and if I don't, well yeah. then. That's where I need to start before I let more of this in. Got it. Um, the last, and I, I guess kind of tied into both of them, the last kind of question is, um, does this benefit my spiritual life? Mm. So our, our piece of soul, let's say, is the foundation for our spiritual life. It's kind of that psychological balance. But our, but as, when I say, do it, does this help my spiritual life, is the conclusion, is the effect of me listening to this person or another, does it help me? Does it, does it push me towards deepening my prayer life? making time and room for spiritual reading, you know, wanting to go to yeah. mass and receive the sacraments and things like that, or not? Is it started, Is it on the other hand, maybe just becoming a substitute for those things because it seems like there's some sort of moral quality about them that's, that's good. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if this isn't in some way inspiring me to deepen or to, to you know, pursue and, and to make better my spiritual life, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not good. And I think if we were to look at all three of those questions continuously and, and kind of okay. you know compare them up against um, what we're listening to, that that would be a pretty good way to um, okay. to judge the prudence of what I'm reading, what I'm listening no, to. That's I think that's very helpful. And then from the other side, so that's what we can do, kind of as a, again examination of conscience for ourselves. But then from the outside, 
maybe to help establish a principle. Certainly in better days, the church had things like the Index of Forbidden Books. Right, which, right. Is, which is kind of one of those, like, you know, no one wants to talk about that, or it seems, right. like, a, seems like a dark part of the history, but, it, but it's not. I mean, if we think yeah. about this, is exactly the, the church and her concern for souls throughout the centuries said, you are forbidden without specific permission for a legitimate yeah. cause to read such and such an author, even if right. it was just a work of literature. Why? Sure. Because the church knows, well, um, not everyone has access to or the ability to deepen, you know, um, you know, right. a theological education, things like that. And so to avoid um, her children being yeah. swept away by a fal- false ideology or a false interpretation or something like that, it just don't read it. And that was the law of the church. And that was, that was charity. That, that, sure. <laughs> that sort of protection. Yeah. So maybe you can speak to how that applies today because we, in better times, the church did not, let's say, allow or did not promote the free marketplace of ideas. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't live in good times. No. Not just the fact that the, the index doesn't exist you know, as such anymore or that there's a crisis in the church. But if we're going to talk about, or we are talking about um, all these voices, the influence, the formation it has on us, how can you apply, let's say, that Catholic mindset of the church in better days, you know, having, an, having whether it's the index or not, having a, a way to um, judge or help basically make sure that what is put in front of Catholics is helpful and it mm-hmm. does, you know, give you the right principles, peace of soul, all the things that flow from that. How, how do we in 2024, um, that, well, realistically, yeah, what, what, uh, what should we learn from the fact that the church used to take such, um, such measures to mm-hmm. ensure that we're not bombarded with bad principles? Mm-hmm. Well, that the first thing to learn is that in particular, <laughs> is that we have to take measures to ensure okay. that we're not bombarded with false sure. principles. But um, those measures now are in our court, I yeah. think, is, is the conclusion. Okay. So um, what that means is that it's, it's up to us, by and large, and I guess one of the reasons why we're having this discussion and ironically talking about other uh, internet influences via a podcast. Right, right. Um, that that uh, those measures are, are in our court, and we're going to do our best to examine, um, based on the principles of the church, the people that we're listening to, the mm-hmm. influences that are coming across our, our screen, in order to best judge the prudence of you know listening to them, in a, in a sense you can kind of think of it as like kind of like um, plumbing the the causes, the four causes of an individual or at, or or minds that are something like that. So you know where are they coming from? What t- what type of person is this? What sort of things do they say? What is their goal? Mm-hmm. If I if I honestly look at all those aspects, I can come to a prudent conclusion, this person is more or less trustworthy. So, okay, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a political commentator. Sure. Um, He has, he's definitely ascribed to this particular political um, section and his goal is to get votes. Okay, well, he might only be trustworthy in very certain realms, but I have to take everything he says with a greatest great assault because so it's it's just, it's gauging someone's um, trustworthiness at the sure. end of the day, and that and that's not a that's not a call for distrust. It's a it's a call for active prudence. You know, just so to examine. So, <clears throat> I guess it, we could kind of I think maybe what it would help is to just kind of go through. The different scenarios, kind of the different let's do that types of influence that you know we're we're kind of usually asked about as priests. Perfect. Um, usually, kind of have to to make our distinctions of because I I I don't know thinking about 
I think we can kind of sum it up to an, into a few general categories. And um, instead of just, you know, getting personal and and, sure. and uh, attacking every individual name out there, maybe we can kind of just, you know, kind of make a broader category, say these okay. are the things you need to, to, to look out for and, okay. and, and kind of go with, go from there as a, as a prudential um, distinction. Okay. Thing. Sounds good. So, um, okay. I guess maybe the, the, Okay, well, people ask us, for example, you mm -hmm. know, Father, what do you think about so and so? Um, you know, Jocko or <clears throat> or David Goggins. You know, these they kind of like cause, because my my boys are really interested in it. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, they seem like they really have some like motivational things. Okay, this is just yeah, this on is, a natural level. On a natural level. Yeah. So, so this is so this is category one. Let's say like you know these these self motivational speakers, and we get asked about it a lot. And on the one hand, self motivation is very good. Um, agency is very good, but we can compare, you know, kind of the content of the message. And I'm saying this more impersonally now because sure. I don't, I don't know. Um, but you do hear things like, you know, a man is supposed to fight. You know, when mm. was the last time you woke up seeing red and tasting blood? You know, it's kind of like this, this idea of being the beast of being the predator of man's virtue, um, being kind of contained in domination. Mm -hmm. So, okay, well, again, if that motivates you, that, that might have some sort of good aspect on the natural level. But by and large, if we compare that to Catholic virtue, no, sorry, that's not Catholic virtue. I mean, that, that's not the spirit of Christ. Um, to, to dominate um, and to be militant in and of itself is really just saying passion is more important than virtue because virtue yeah. is summed up in charity, which is founded in humility. You know, this is not the spirit of Christ. And so is it all evil? Is it all not worth listening to? I'm not necessarily saying that, but I am saying there needs to be, uh, at least in this category already, you know, a, a bigger degree of, of, of prudence, especially when it comes to young people listening to it. We, we don't want to form men that are, are passionate over virtuous. Um, so you go, you go down yeah. from there, let's say something a little bit less militant, you know, kind of just like the, the more, all these self-help books, these yeah. motivational speakers, your, your Tony Robbins people, um, again, self-motivation is great. Agency is great, but we have to, we have to ask and we have to kind of investigate, you know, what are the goals of these sort of motivations? Who's the center of it all quite, quite often, because we're not talking from, they're not talking from the perspective of the faith, the individual starts to become kind of the center of the own, their own universe. And then, you know, where's God? So mm -hmm. we have to be aware of, you know, kind of an individualism, um, versus, self-denial um or um you know, yeah uh, or 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 um docility and, and piety to god our father mm. so okay that's that's the spirit of the of that that's the world let's say of the kind of the, the self-motivation thing um what about then we have the category of kind of like all the 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 names that are pushing us towards um financial success yeah you know worldly success uh, uh personal gain you know your andrew tates and that, and that sort of thing um Again, we, we have to investigate what are the goals here? Like, are, are, is it, or does it start to make money or worldly success the goal? Because in a sense, I mean, that's what materialism is. It, it makes material success in the world, it's God. Yeah. Um, and that's against the spirit of poverty. I mean, and, and a lot of things that go along with it. And so again, I, I'm kind of impersonally here, what I'm saying yeah. is that um, on the one hand, there can be some good aspect in it. You know, if, if you really need to know how to make a successful business and this person can tell you how to do it, fine. 
Um, but at the same time, the prudential aspect that we're applying to it is that th this can't be the fundamental way we think. This has to be subordinate to, you know, our yeah. you know, business morality and um, and the spirit of poverty and things like that. Perhaps a bigger category then after that is kind of this, if we were to just sum it all up, like the, the political, conservative, yeah. religious even, conservative Catholic um, world. And, and there are many, many voices um, that, that go into this. And there's, there's different groups, different individuals, and a lot of them have a lot of, you know, a lot of following. And I think for good reason, because they're legitimately intelligent men. Um, uh, they're, they're legitimately educated and, and they have good things to say and relevant things to say about, you know, maybe the, the state of the church or the state of society, whatever it is. Um, if we were to, okay, now apply our prudence filter onto this, our, our, you know, our distinguishing thoughts, we have to ask ourselves, okay, first of all, you know, if we're going to sum all these people up as like conservative thinkers, conservative yeah. commenta commentators, um, what, what do we mean by conservatism, for example? This is one of the questions we yeah. can ask ourselves. Do I mean, you know, just sort of like a reaction against progressive thinking? That's, you know, often just yeah. kind of like what conservatism tends to be. Or is it um, a general valuing of order and reason over just you know personal gain, which isn't bad, obviously. But is it though conservatism? If I were to ask Michael, what's the Catholic principle? What do I mean by that in in the traditional sense? I mean conservatism. What we in the traditional sense is is the adherence to the reality that truth and morals cannot change because they're based in God. Period. That, that's what we mean by yeah. conservatism. And so if, if I'm listening to someone that might not have that as their, um, their foundation, okay, well, I, I, gotta be, I gotta be more wary than just yeah. thinking, well, this guy thinks a lot like me in a lot of ways. I love him. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna listen to him. Um, quite, quite often their arguments might be more based on something closer to liberals, liberalism than we might think, at least a moderated liberalism, you know, some sort of idea that there are legitimate you know, intrinsic rights of man right. that might not necessarily be a right of man, like we were mentioning as far as right. like the, the freedom of um, the press and, and things yeah. like that. Where, um, where you end up kind of superficially coming to the same conclusion, but for different reasons. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's more important than we think, because we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but I mean, the principles that, that govern how we come to the, different, to the same conclusion, but different principles, that will have a much bigger effect yeah. um, in different areas and in the long run than, than we might think. I and mean, basically, what I'm what I'm, ar I'm arguing as far as the conservatism goes is that is there is there principle of tradition or conservatism based in the kingship of Christ and in the immutable laws of God, or is it something more based um, in, yeah. a, in a worldly scenario? Um, are there more there are there is there moral code again something based in the immutable nature of of how god ordered creation and, and his divine positive law or is it something that's more just you know legitimately good but not necessarily based in the same principles so you, you get from some of these commentators kind of wishy-washy morals as far as like well okay we don't like abortion but you know contraception or as long yeah. as it's you know mutual consent questions of homosexuality like um the principles governing those things tend to start to become more subjective and less right. definite the right. farther we get from um, revealed truth and, and, a, and a, 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 a guarded notion of, of the natural law. All of that, the reason that's dangerous already is all of that is going to spill over into our spirituality, you know, to how we judge the faith, how we, how we, how we you know, interact with God. 
And a lot of times because it has, you know, religious aspects to it, sometimes even directly talking about the faith, we start to replace our actual spirituality, you know, our spiritual reading, yeah. meditation, with just listening to a podcast, you know, yeah. that 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 has some sort of moral or, or religious connotation. But that simply cannot be. We we can't replace our, our individual, our active, our internal spirituality with um with, you know, these these kind of episodes and things like that. Well yeah, well that all makes it more I mean it makes it more sinister if it's um uh, framing this whole conversation, even the whole podcast in the terms of duty of state. And, you know, it's, it's one thing, again, you mentioned earlier, if you're listening to the news and it you know, affects your peace of soul, but I mean, you really are taking this to the highest level then and, right. and saying that this is um, ultimately comes down to you know, our very reason for existing. And, and I mean, what we're supposed to be spending our time doing mm -hmm. is that, uh, yeah, no, yeah. that's okay. exactly it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, and that also is connected to the idea that, you know, how we judge everything yeah. is going to be based on how we think. Um, and if we're blurring those lines, you know, by identifying our thought with these these other people, yeah. these other person, these commentators' thoughts, or like kind of considering them our champion because yeah. I love how we put that, and then we start to identify our thoughts with them, we're blurring the lines of our own principles. Okay. And those blurry lines, um, they will have, they will have, you know, worse effects further down the road. And again, more, more on that, and I think okay. pretty soon. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, as far as, <clears throat> you know, these different categories of intellectual influence, Again, um, these can all be legitimate, intelligent, educated men and women, experts mm -hmm. in their field. Um, but what we want to make sure that we're not taking them as a fundamental thought for our lives. Okay. Um, and that's because just the simple principle is that the farther we get from the thought of the church, mm -hmm. the more likely it is that we will diverge off of objective truth. And I think it might be worth kind of taking a step back here and just saying, okay, truth then, is it is truth that restricted, you know, because yeah. that, no, that, that's, that's what question. it sounds like, right. yeah, I would, I would imagine, yeah. you know, to especially someone outside the church, you are you really saying that truth is just restricted to your religion, right? Right. Um, that and only a few people have access to it. Well, what we do believe, because we do believe that our Lord Jesus Christ founded one religion, and in that religion is the fullness of revelation. We, we do absolutely believe that only the Catholic Church contains the fullness of truth. And by fullness of truth, I'm not saying contains all the facts. You know, yeah. you're not going to look for a, you're not going to look for Super Bowl stats in a papal encyclical, like right. obviously. But when I say fullness of truth, I, I mean the fullness of, of the revelation that God gave to mankind um, about himself, who is truth. So the, the religion that contains that fullness of revelation is the one that's going to be said to contain the fullness of truth. We absolutely believe that. Um, and only, again, even insofar as, you know, the ones preaching that faith are, are faithful to it mm -hmm. um, as, it's, as it's always been taught. It's, it's interesting that, you know, these kind of hard lines almost make us uncomfortable. I think it's because, we, you know, yeah. we're kind of in this atmosphere of a wishy-washy, yeah. don't, 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 you know, offend anyone um, kind of world. But... You could call that a restricted way of thinking. Yeah. Or you could look at the opposite side of that coin and say, no, when we say Catholic, we mean universal. Mm -hmm. We're not meaning this secret society has the fullness of truth. We're meaning this faith was, was founded by God for all men. This is for 
all men to access this truth and that's why it it has all the all the, the fullness of truth it's be, it's for all yeah. men to come and access and then thereby save their souls so you can call that a restricted mind mindset but it, it's really a universal one it's yeah. it, you know if i have you know i don't know what it is the the best vaccine to cure all of the the, the right. ailments of mankind i'm not being restricted by saying mine's mine's you know the cure all because i'll let any of you have it yeah um it's only if you if you look at kind of just the negative aspect of it that it, that it could start to sound restricted no i think it's belloc or someone who gives the analogy of you know the way the catholic looks at it is you can you can drive anywhere there's lots of roads but we put guardrails up so that you know you don't drive off a cliff right. and when you push back against that even without understanding it what you're really saying is i want but i want we want to be able to want to be able to choose yeah. to drive off the cliff and and yeah so it it is a restriction right yeah. I, I think this is part of this is part of what you're saying is that this world this digital world has no guardrails right and that's that's exactly the problem yeah right or yep. it's one of the problems that's one of the problems yeah yeah, yeah. because i mean we again there are are there bits of truth in all of these influential people yeah absolutely but the point is is that there are bits you yeah. know, and there are no guardrails. And yeah. so um, we're really opening up ourselves to to problems. Um, yeah, opening up ourselves up to problems. So that, that's that's the gist, I guess, of that whole yeah. idea of, uh, of intellectual influence be before we kind of finish it off, I think, with more like a theological influence, yes. which is also a relevant question. But al yeah. already I can say, I mean, someone might ask, well, does that mean we just, we don't listen to anything? Does that mean yeah. that they're, you know that um that uh there, there's you know w what else is there it's like sure. okay well on the one hand there there's a lot <laughs> yeah we have two thousand years of of catholic teaching um to be able to rely on and also my main answer is not just a cessation of every possible yeah listening i think it's it's really just it's a call for caution it's okay. it's um the, the real answer is here to be balanced um in proportion to the importance of whatever we're listening to we have to be that much more cautious and careful. So it's one thing, you know, to listen to a podcast about bird watching and take their advice on, you know, where to best find a, a red winged blackbird or something sure. like that. But it's another thing, you know, um, to uh, to listen to some commentator talking about the decline of Western civilization and kind of let that destroy my day and influence, you know, just how much I trust God. You know, we're talking about something that's much more important, so I can't just take it at, at face value. And I have to balance that as we'll say later with um with intentional study and sometimes the more important it is and the more risk there is of an yeah. imprudent opening up sometimes less is more and sometimes nothing's better um, when it when it comes to um when it comes to you know possible and very subtle uh, divergences of truth um we yeah and i think that more applies even to to to, to the younger to the younger generation as well we, we really parents at least have to really ask themselves how much should I allow my children to be motivated, you know, by these people mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily motivating them to a greater practice of virtue or a, a more precise reasoning or whatever it is. So <clears throat> I think the biggest concern as far, as far as all that goes, so now the answer is still going to be balanced, sure. but the, the biggest concern when I say in proportion of the most important things, it is when we get into questions of faith. Sure. Um, because this is, it's a relevant thing. Um, and it and it's relevant to especially um, the crisis that we're in. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people will come and ask us, Father, what do you think about Father so and so or this particular channel yeah. or whatever it is? 
Um, and we have to do our best to, to say, okay, well, prudence. And again, we can, we can kind of apply those questions we asked earlier. Like, mm-hmm. what does this do for your peace of soul? What does this do for your, your spiritual life? Yeah. Um, and are you able to, you know, to answer this in a, in a principled Catholic way? So, I mean, I think, so what I'm going to give what, what I, what I think are the best principles sure. I think to govern is obviously this podcast isn't going to be, um, the, the play, the time or place, you know, to really get into right. individuals or to really right. attack one ideolo- ideology or another. Sure. But so just kind of the, the general principles because, um, they are relevant. And, and I think the best thing is that if we were to take these principles and apply them to whomever we're talking about individually, that'd be the, the best sure. outcome we can hope for. Sure. So just already, if we were to ask ourselves those questions, you know, how does, you know, yeah. if I'm listening to a priest, for example, or, or some sort of Catholic commentator, you know, um, a lot of times what we find on the internet is something less of the faith, less of spirituality, and something more akin to sensationalism. Sure. You know, whether that's, you know, kind of a, an obsession with um, uncertain things like the last times or diabolical influence or, um, you know, just kind of fear, fear-based things, that's very often already a good way to say because there's plenty of people that come to us and say father i was listening to so and so and it's it's just just really worried me should i be doing this should i be doing this should i be doing this it's like no if if that's taking you know the foundation from your from your peace of soul and just the foundation of you just actually wanting to to pray better to practice mental prayer and to go to the sacraments there's something not trustworthy sure um and 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 traditional catholicism is not sensational um by its nature it's not it's not obsessed with um you know dark supernatural uh speculation speculation it's it's not it's not centered in fear uh, it's centered in confidence in, in, in God's control over everything in the protection that he offers us. And it would be much better to stay away from the sensational okay. side of, of religion, okay. even if it even if it has, you know, some legitimate aspects to sure. it or, you know, it sounds nice about this particular private revelation or things like that. It would be better to spend less time or even no time with that side if it means then that we're freeing our mind and our soul to again um, deepen our spiritual life and, and actually learn our faith as it's been taught by the popes in centuries and things like that. So that's I think kind of principle number one is that just yeah. if if it's not if it's not getting us closer to our Lord, if it's not helping my my uh, my peace of soul, um, if it's not really you know indisputable questions of faith, well then it, it's already going to be dangerous and, and probably less is more, if not less is yeah. better. <laughs> None is more. None is better. Yeah. Yeah. None is better. Um, so, okay, a little bit more broader than that. Let's say let's let if we if we exit the realm of sensationalism, just get, kind of get into more like you know I guess kind of Catholic doctrine. Um, obviously, there are a lot of a lot of different voices, a lot of different mm-hmm. priests um, from different backgrounds. Um, you know, posting things and commentating on things online, and. Obviously, this can get you know to be a very delicate question because we yeah. don't want to be um, the intention here is not to be sinking anybody's boat or yeah. to undermining anyone, or at the same time, um, you know, getting anything more personal than just what are the what are the principles of faith here? Mm-hmm. And uh, and when I say principles of faith, I do mean the principles of traditional faith, um, as the church is always taught in the context of the crisis of the church. So. Here's here's I guess kind of the, the 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 chain of reasoning. The first principle is that you know at least here within our society of Saint Pius X, we absolutely believe that there's a crisis in the church. Sure, 
And um, we absolutely believe that that crisis, as pointed out by St. Pius X, is the crisis of modernism, this whole idea of kind of man over God or man against God, um, this idea of um, the evolution of truth, things like that. And then in particular, when it came to how that was manifested in, in, the, in the Second Vatican Council, what we, what we usually point to is like, okay, we have, we have serious theological issues with religious liberty, mm-hmm. with false ecumenism, with um, collegiality, with the kind of the, the modern idea of the structure of the church, because we believe that they're based in, in modernism. Um, and, and that's in our, in our best judgment, that's the basis, that's the heart of the crisis in the church. And so what Archbishop Lefebvre, what his goal was, was to have a priesthood, to preserve a priesthood that was free from those ideas. And that's exactly what he gave us um, in the formation that we received in the seminary and the statutes of the society. And that's actually the reason why, for example, we don't offer, offer the Novus Ordo Mise, because we yeah. believe it's, it's, a, it's a product of those principles. And so then the conclusion of that first line of reasoning is just a priori without any you know, further knowledge or judgment of any individual. We don't trust the formation that's a result of the Second Vatican Council, or let's say kind of like the theology of the Novus Ordo Mise, because of those principles. Um, first and foremostly against because we we do not trust the principles in which they are founded and that's why the society is always cautioned about you know where you're going to mass or or Mm -hmm. what you're listening to um because those little divergences of theology they might be subtle for sure but they do have absolutely real effects so if we were to draw a couple lines for example you know the the results of the principles of religious liberty even though um they were in some ways very subtle in the council documents um, or, or ecumenism. The results of those ended up being, you know, the, the, the scandal of the CC in, in 86 or, you know, even the, the Pacamama in more recent times. So these are results of, uh, of, a, of a mentality that was already opening itself up to um, like that, that mm-hmm. kind of spirit of false ecumenism, things like that. Or let's say the, the effects of the principle of collegiality that was laid down in, in the council would be, you know, kind of this, this crazy, almost quasi schismatic synod of synodality that we're, you know, that we're kind of um, groaning under today. It, it's a, it's a, it's a causal link between behind that idea and these effects that we're seeing or the effects of kind of just like the, the blurring of certain moral principles or, or the, the, mm-hmm. the idea that morals and truth cannot change brings us to, um, you know, more recent scandals of, you know, um, the the quasi blessing of illicit unions and mm-hmm. things like that. All these things are are connected, um, and these blurring lines is you know that is the effect of modernism, and it's a it it brings about a gradual weakening of principles and of morals, and so prudently speaking now, if we're to just take that, that's the concern. Um, we prudently do not want to expose ourselves to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, because the result is in us could be a, a wishy-washy theology, a wishy-washy kind of sense of morals. It brings um, confusion, discord, unnecessary strife, because now we're, you know, with, with some sort of half-baked principle, we're arguing against this particular mm-hmm. judgment or motive. And then we're, you know, we're getting caught up in the, in the dichotomy between truth and charity or kindness or whatever it is. Um, but at the bottom line, like that, that kind of wishy-washy, that, that in uncertainty, that, that blurred line, I mean, that's not going to aid the crisis in the church. It, yeah. it's, it's not going to produce vocations. It's not going to help us 
you know, solidly just steer our family according to what, what the church has always taught. Um, so that, that's, that's our concern. Yeah. That's, that's the prudent conclusion. So can I, can I throw out an example to see yeah. if I'm tracking you? I think to tie, to tie what you were saying right there with, with something you mentioned earlier, uh, the problem is something potentially like this. I find someone on YouTube, I go to the lot, let's say I go to the traditional mass. Mm -hmm. Let's even say I go to a society. I'm, I'm a, I'm a faithful of the, of a society chapel. I find a YouTube priest who also is promoting the traditional mass. And I mm -hmm. think, well, that's great. I like the traditional mass too. He's clearly, you know, talking about the traditional mass, but right. the principle behind is that for him, it's a preference. It's, you know, sure. I mean, that's, it's a real preference and mm -hmm. that's great, but our reasons are obviously not just much different, but much beyond preferential. And right. if you, if you then sort of like almost inductively, uh, yeah. Absorb the principles that you know. This is a question of of taste, preference. Um, then, then you're you're leading to that wishy washiness of principles, which actually will undermine right. your duty of state and your family if you don't understand the real reasons why. Exactly, and it, not so. It it has a kind of a double effect. It, yeah, it has that. It'll undermine the solidity of your own principles and how you apply that to your family. But also, looking outside of yourself, you're going to start to have you know difficulties. Um, with you know maybe the the actions or the the judgments yeah. of of uh, of a priest of the society like well how can you say that that's totally unkind this is yeah. just a question of preference like well um, how are we fighting that battle all of a sudden right. <laughs> so where did that come from that that gradual weakening of principles and and and, and quite frankly we see it as priests you know the, the, mm. the more there's sort of a concession granted certain things start to go interesting um, whether that's just um, you know the at first it's like an absolute adherence to, you know, traditional liturgy. And that might start to, you know, have little exceptions here and there. And that, that trickles into, you know, the, the insistence of a traditional Catholic education mm -hmm. that'll trickle into even like moral questions, you know, just even, even simple things like questions of modesty and things like that. Um, yeah. and, uh, you, you just, you see it, it's just kind of like this, this gradual yeah. decline. And then it, it becomes that much more difficult to reason because now we're, we're, we're kind of trying to like have a discussion with two different points of view and two different, yeah. you know, intellectual building blocks. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it, no, it, it's a, it's a big, it's a big deal. And I, and I think the big, the most dangerous thing about it is that it, it's so darn hard to see, Yeah. you know, you, you, most people think, well, I, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to let myself be taken in. Like I would know, like, well, and that's kind of, that's kind of the whole thing behind it. The reason why it is dangerous is because, um, you're not necessarily going to notice. I mean, that's 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 yeah. that's what wishy-washy theology is. It's gonna it's gonna state something imprecise and then be able to bring about a different conclusion farther down the road. Um, for example, sure. I, I was reading a book about um, the fatherhood of God, and uh, someone gave it to me, and it was very interesting. It was, it was, it was well done, written written by a priest, and not, not one of our priests, but um, I think he has some very very good um, some very good things. But one of his conclusions was, you know, as far as the priest is concerned, he said the, the first and foremost importance, the first principle that a priest is, first duty mm -hmm. is to be a, a father to his flock. And then, you know, mm -hmm. kind of goes on from there and, and gives different examples and things like that. And that, that struck me at first, okay, well, that, that sounds nice, mm -hmm. um, but something doesn't seem right. And then eventually kind of kind of struck me, it's like, okay, well, no, that's definitely not what I was taught in the seminary. Um, what was what was continually pounded both in the, the writings of Archbishop Lefebvre and the different spiritual writers that we were, uh, um, you know, constantly given was that the priest's first and foremost duty is to be a son to the father. 
you know, to 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 have to 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 care for our own soul, to work for the glory of God, to be, you know, docile and subordinate to Him, and then secondarily through the union with Christ, then be a father to mm. our to our own children, and that. That might seem subtle, but it's a fundamental difference. I mean, yeah. that, in a sense, that's yeah. the difference between the old mass and the new mass is who we're put, putting the focus on. And the, the different conclusions that these days are becoming more and more obvious and scandalous, they're all, they're all based in those same principles. So it's, 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 it's dangerous, and the biggest danger is that it's subtle. I mean, you're yeah. not going to... So that, that's why a lot of times, I mean, again, just prudently speaking, less is more when it comes to these more important sure. things. And quite quite frankly the, the you know the consensus of, of the of, of me and my my fellow priests is that uh, a lot less is a lot more or <clears throat> maybe yeah. even maybe even none is best because um there are a lot of other sources traditional sources yeah even if it takes a little bit more time and study um there are, are there other ways to learn our faith that are maybe just a little bit less convenient let's say um but i mean we, we do have to kind of state it frankly sometimes i mean for example just you know, for, for one of our faithful to be continuously listening to some commentary on the new catechism of the church, for example, which which is the fruit of the of the council, which is the heart of the the the, the, you yeah. know, the source of the crisis, and at the same time to adhere to you know being a faithful in one of our chapels, it's it's antithetical, and yeah. it's it's it doesn't work a priori at least it's imprudent. Um, so without knowing more, okay, I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not making like sure. a, a big declamation or sure. a declaration. It's just, there's a basic syllogism that we're establishing as the source of our prudence. You know, modernism is the foundation of the new theology, let's say, and, and, and is the source of the more concrete scandals that we see today. It's antithetical to the faith and it's dangerous to the soul, to, to, to dangerous to souls. And um, for that, you know, for the evidence of that, we, we point to, you know, the major decline, the loss of vocations, conversions, parishes, sure. the scandals, all those things. Modernism is the foundation and it's dangerous. Um, this particular person or priest or, or commentary or book is formed and founded in that context of um, at least, you know, drawing on it as, as principles. And so therefore it's dangerous. Yeah. That, that's that's just the basic prudential kind of um, yeah. process of thought here, um, and at this point, a lot of times people say, "But Father, there's no alternatives. How do you keep yeah, saying yeah, there's yeah. other things to do?" But you know, we don't find you know the we, we can't find the society priests always giving commentary on this sort of thing. And like, well, um, okay. On the one hand, it's it's okay. We we can't we can't you know match every possible uh, <laughs> you know um, source of commentary out there. But on the other hand, it, it's not necessary. Uh, again, sometimes nothing is better, or maybe even just an audiobook sure. of of literature if you just need something to listen to. But there is much more. I mean, we have two thousand years of Catholic writing. We have the Church Fathers. We have all the doctors of the Church. We have all these saints. Um, even right up until in you know, recent times, some of, some of the best spiritual writings that we give to people are from authors of the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries because they're so more relevant to us. Yeah. We, we have a whole bookstore. You yeah, know, we, yeah. have, we, have, we have so much. And at the very, very basis, I mean, for, for hundreds of years, Catholics nourished their spiritual life just off of scripture and even like little bits of scripture they can yeah. get you know that was lexio divina that was mm -hmm. that was kind of just the heartbeat of the monastic orders sure you know so to say that there's no alternatives is, is, a, is a shallow sure. way of thinking um and uh and it, it's better for us to on the one hand be okay with the notion of drawing some hard lines 
Um, and we don't like that because again, that's not, that's not what we're kind of trained to do. That's not the world we live in. But the hard line is that we do have one soul and we have one mm -hmm. purpose. We have, there's one truth, there's one way, there's mm -hmm. one faith. Um, there's one revolution, revelation rather. There's one, there's one revolution too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, well, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, but blurring <laughs> the lines, letting in a worldly spirit, it's, it's not going to produce strong Catholics. It, it'll yeah. produce worldly, worried, fearful, disinterested, wishy-washy, no vocations. That's yeah. not what we're interested in. So drawing some hard lines and these more important things, it's becoming more and more necessary. And for everything else, then we go back to that question of balance. It's, sure. Um, if not never for whatever kind of commentator or topic we're talking about, then we have to proportion it. Proportion, proportion time, let's say, to studying, actively studying, sure. getting a book, getting a papal encyclical, knowing your faith, knowing the crisis, actively, not just passively, um, reading, you know? Um, yeah. And then the other thing we have to proportion it to is, is prayer. I mean, if, if most of our day, especially most of our intellectual work is spent on just listening, um, that's not proportionate to our duty of state as, as Catholics um, or just letting our, our day be filled with news feeds or, or whatever other things we can listen to. We, we have to make, intentionally make, actively work to, to produce space for proportionate time for prayer, for just time with God. Because the more exposure we give ourselves the more we put ourselves in passivity mm -hmm. to the universal truth and the universal goodness, the more that's going to inundate our principles and the more that's going, he is going to, you know, direct how we judge. But that doesn't happen magically. You know, we have to put ourselves in passivity to the right source of, um, of truth and we have to let him be the agent. And there's, there's simply nothing that can replace that. No digital spirituality can replace that. And we, it has to be something that, that, and I think that's the best conclusion